Hello and very welcome to this week's Property Matters, a show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or on email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are Carl Talla and myself, Brian Fox. Okay, and some of the top stories of the week so far. Uh, Hundreds of millions in funding has been allocated to local authorities to bolster the Rebuilding Ireland Home Loan Scheme, which was thrown into doubt following budget overruns earlier this year. Also, last week we reported on the world's first negative interest rate mortgages, um, which were advanced by Danish Bank. This week we learned that the fastest growing approved housing body to a housing um, here in Ireland which currently has 5,000 homes under management, has secured a 120 million low interest financing deal to provide a further 2,000 social homes here in Ireland by 2022. And also the Office of Public Works is apparently facing a big levies bill on Dublin's most notorious vacant site on Church Street and Hammond Lane in Smithfield, which had been designated as a children and family law court more than a decade ago. If it is entered on the register, the OPW might be liable for levies up to 700,000 annually to the council from next year. And according to the Irish Independent, Diago let's set to choose English developer you and I to redevelop St. James, James's Gate as a new city quarter. Ireland has the third highest emissions of greenhouse gas in the EU, according to the most recent European study, which is promoting, po- promoting po- politicians, uh, prompting politicians and industry leaders to call for greater innovation and policy support. Anyone with an interest in prop tech, urban planning and digital correct construction is invited to attend an event hosted by the CETA, the Construction IT Alliance, tomorrow evening on emergency technologies trans- transforming urban planning at Bank of Ireland down at the Grand Canal. Attendance is free, but booking is essential to the CITA website. Yeah, that's that's actually an important event for anybody in the industry. So again, it's the crossover of prop tech, construction tech, digital construction and urban planning. Um, So there will be speakers there in terms of uh, Geo Design Hub. And it starts at 8.15 in the morning down in the workbench at Bank of Ireland down in Grand Canal. Again, attendance is free, but booking is essential through the CETA website. So that's one not to be missed. Um, so, Brian, you might have seen earlier, uh, just at the end of last week, daft.ie was in a bit of hot water following a, a Workplace Relations um, Commission ruling in relation to property rental websites um, and their advertising on the websites. So, look, a, a bit of a brief background there that a case was taken against Daft um, by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission. Um, But it's our understanding that individuals have also taken the case, particularly on on the grounds of refusal of HAP, the housing assistance payment. So it essentially is restricting or prohibiting the use of certain terms or phrases in property advertising. So on Daft and and My Home, the properties that are for rent advertised, generally they will, you know, there's a certain lingo that's attached. So um, up until 2015, they might have said rent allowance not accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, now, under, um, now I'm just looking here, under the Equality, under the Equality um, and Equal Status Acts 2015, it was no longer acceptable to to decline rent allowance in a payment, uh, rent allowance payment in the adverts. So in fact, previously, 
certainly Daft actually had a box that you could tick to filter out anyone mm. anyone that said mm. they didn't accept rent allowance since 2015 um, that changed the ruling changed that and the tick box was so it's gone illegal it is illegal oh it absolutely is illegal and it has been since 2015 that so this new law doesn't or this new ruling doesn't change that but what it does do is um it it provides a list of prohibited terms so for example now um landlords and managing agents who are advertising on behalf of landlords cannot specify that the property is more suited to older or more mature tenants mm. or professional tenants only or not suitable for children. But that certainly must open up a whole can of worms then for landlords in, in terms of, you know, are they not entitled to look for the type of person that they are? Well, they absolutely are. And look, it raises a question there in terms of enforceability. So um, actually, the independent.ie did a really good explainer on this. Um, and, you know, they've been very rational in their approach to it and very reasoned. And, they, you know, it's their approach that the latest housing ad rules aims to give everyone an equal chance of a place to live. But the upshot is landlords can choose who they rent their properties sure. to. Sure. So, you know, if 20 tenants or 200 tenants turn up, they still get to choose from those people. So effectively, um, really, this rule applies to what they can say in their advertising of the property. And but it could, can it also be useful, though, to those that want to rent property in that they have an idea of what the landlord is looking for as well? So, I mean... Oh, yeah, it does. You know, so isn't there, uh, there... There will certainly be a law of unintended consequence here where you will have people turning up. Like, for example, it's no longer OK to say that, you know, this family or this um, property won't suit a family. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, you might get there and realise actually, you know, there's stairs up to it. You know, it, sure. it doesn't accommodate... Well, that's, that's, it yeah. doesn't accommodate But the, um, but the point is though, that you can still, you still... Rather than turning up to a, to a rental, mm. that's, you know, you have 200 people that, yeah. that could eat, that are disqualified. Uh, well, sorry, I should say... say maybe 50%, 25% that wouldn't be that chosen wouldn't be suitable by the for landlord. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's that's exactly what will happen. But, um, you know, there, there was a specific question here. You know, say for landlords, the majority of landlords would prefer professional tenants or professional people as tenants. Yeah. That's just a reality. And, you know, so what's changed is that actually, and, and by the way, it's really important to stress that the ruling this week doesn't change it. It really just enforces the Equal Status Acts um, of or 2015. But it's basically saying it's against the law for you to specify who you want in the property. However, when people turn up to view the property, then absolutely you can choose the best person there. Um, and I, I think it's important to be quite specific here. So um, what the acts specifically refer to is you can't discriminate um, for people on the basis of gender, marital status, um, family status, age, disability, sexual orientation, race, religion or membership of the traveller community. And of course, by saying that a property doesn't suit a family, it is discriminating on the grounds of family status. Mm, at the same time, I mean, if, if if the department is just a one bedroom department, obviously it's, it's not, not going for to be suitable a, for a family. Yeah, and in fact, I, w- I was doing a bit of research into how estate and, and letting agents are managing this with their landlords. And one of the things I read was um, about maybe getting clearer in the property descriptions. So you make it clear to people, you know, um, so say, for example, if it's a property that's accessed via a stairwell, 
only, yeah, then sure. that will generally rule out people yeah. who have buggies or pushchair yeah. or are going to be doing that trip, you know, five, six, seven times a day. So essentially be really descriptive so that people for whom the property won't be suitable that it will be quite evident that yeah. it's not suitable for them but that you're not saying yeah. they're not allowed to come yeah. or they're not yeah. allowed to have it but that they essentially can see that it's not suitable for them. Um, but I, I suppose, look, I, I think that despite all of the other things um, that have been covered under this, under this, uh, under these new rules and, and indeed the daft case, um, a lot of it does relate back to discrimination against people who receive rent supplement, housing assistance or any social welfare payments. And that's why there was this insistence mm. on uh, professionals only um, or having to provide actually having to provide your salary statements mm-hmm. or in some cases having to provide your employer references. Now, by the way, there is a bit of ambiguity here and in fact I've seen I've seen discussion forums already break down online over this. Um, one of the prohibited terms is quote uh, re- uh, references required. Right. Now, I in my opinion is that references required is too vague. So I I don't think that that can be prohibited because there there in some cases, well, sorry, in every case, there would need to be references from previous landlords. Landlords, So I, my understanding is that this applies to employment references. But it's really important to to state that that actually hasn't been clarified. So we could work on the basis that that uh, that employer references ought not to be requested but actually the, legis- the the ruling from the WRC doesn't make this clear it just prohibits the term references required and I think it's really important for landlords to get clarification on that because um, otherwise it, it can read like um, Yeah and it's interesting too that the, the case has to, is, is to be taken but to the uh, to the Workplace Relations Commission as well which is interesting Yeah and I think that surprised people actually but one of the things that we've known actually for a long time that the WRC deals with more than just workplace disputes um, so actually the Equality Tribunal was actually subsumed into it in 2015 um, so it now adjudicates oh, on complaints good, yeah. under the Equal yeah. Status Act enough, so yeah. that that's kind of the, the most important one I think this is probably the first one of this type that has happened and um, you know I think the ruling went much further than people were expecting because actually this battle dare I say um, has been going on for about three years that I'm aware possibly even longer and like I said you know the case this particular case was taken by the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission however we know that individual individual cases were taken also and um you know, specifically, yeah, Daft yeah. was ordered to take action to block discriminatory ads appearing on the website. But actually, it went further than that and said they had to develop a methodology mm-hmm. to make sure that nothing could slip through the net. The, the working the working reality of Daft is that people put up, like usually landlords um, or managing agents for the landlords or letting agents put up adverts. But those adverts can be edited after they go live. So okay. they can be edited, you yeah. know, a, an infinite number of times. Right, and right, right. so even if there's a mechanism for the the ad being checked when it goes live, it can be edited. After that, anyway. Um, absolutely. And so that's why at the moment, Daft said that they have a notify and take down policy. So essentially, you know, if one is noticed, 
then it will be removed and any repeat offenders, so um, landlords or letting agents that are you know, repeat offenders for the, for using these prohibited terms or phrases, that they're ads, they that they might actually be suspended. Now, um, for a professional landlord or for a landlord with with many properties, and for a letting agent being suspended from daft would be would be critical but, to but the business. But isn't it a point though that when the the moderator or the curator, uh, when if you're adjusting your ad at all on any, any of these sites. Um, it goes to the moderator first before it's put, before it's, it's put online again. Well, that wouldn't be the case with property listings. No, in fact, um, there's actually an automated process whereby property listings for sale and for rent can be updated daily to oh, keep them okay. on top oh, of the, so to need, keep them on top. So, okay, in fact, yeah, yeah. in some cases, that might be an automated process and mightn't even be done by the agents in question. So, um, so from Daft's point of view, I can see that this is a particularly difficult one to police and. I, I suppose look, taking the, the technicality of the wording mm-hmm. and the advert and this is one particular website, I'm not sure that this actually achieves the <clears throat> aim. And the aim is to make rental accessible to everybody equally. And that's just not the reality because there's a supply and demand issue here. We have a lot of... Uh, we've a lot greater demand than well, we have supply. That too, you know before you go to the landlord with the, we'll call it discriminatory language, what exactly the landlord is looking for. And, and in those terms then, um, you know whether it's worth your while visiting or not. Oh yeah, there's a huge amount of time will be wasted mm. on both sides. So here. And my other point is here, my other query to you would be this, that, you know, during the year or two we've been covering legislation and we know like with the last piece of legislation with the Rental Tenancy Board, that it's becoming somewhat more difficult now for landlords to evict people etc 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 will this oh, yeah. now put people off landlords advertising or landlords rentally again because um, of the you know because of their um, caution in, 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 in wording ads for a start and then you know having to spend several hours there trying to screen people as they're coming through. Well, absolutely, is the short answer there. Absolutely. Um, but we've been we've been entering into such an onerous um, liability for landlords over the past decade. This just seems like one further step. And actually, I'm delighted we're going to be joined, uh, joined in studio this evening by Stephen O'Sullivan from PPN Dublin. And that's a network of landlords. So I'm really interested to hear yeah, how landlords that. are, yeah. not only this particular ruling, but actually how landlords are dealing with um, a more burdensome a more burdensome legislation mm-hmm. and uh, returns, you know, a more difficult financing arrangement. You know, it, it's a difficult environment for landlords on a whole host of measures. Um, certainly, it's not very attractive for individual Mm-hmm. and private landlords, people who only have one or two properties. It's not an attractive proposition at the moment. So I am interested uh, before, to hear... Before we go to a break, maybe you could answer this as well. Are there any other countries that have adopted this type of legislation as well? I mean, I remember when I was in, London, in the UK and in the US, I mean, you always knew what you were going to. Oh, you had a sorry, fair idea yeah. of what you were going to uh, by reading the ads, you know, and, and, and the location, etc., etc., yeah. you know? Actually, I, I don't know. Um, and it would be interesting to learn how this is, if it is indeed um, being practised in other jurisdictions, it would be interesting to see if and how it is being enforced. Mm-hmm. Because again, you know, it, it is really important to be clear that th- these rules apply only to the advert. That oh, actually yeah, landlords sure. still have yes. complete freedom to choose oh, no, the best I, I, tenant. I accept, I understand that, but yeah. from, just from the point of view of the advertiser, it's such an important part of the whole process, of the whole, you know, the whole deal. 
It is. But again, I don't think that this is achieving the aim that it is trying to achieve, which is making rental accessible and, and equally accessible to everybody. That's not going to happen while we have more demand than we have supply. So yeah, in fact, yeah. the way to achieve this is to deliver deliver more homes to the private rented sector and for social housing. And in fact, you saw there that um, in our headlines there, we led with the story that uh, Tua Housing, which is one of the, I, I think it is actually the fastest growing approved housing body in Ireland, so formerly Housing Association. And they currently have 5,000 um, homes under under management, social homes under management. And they're, they've accessed, by, by accessing lower interest rates for longer, you know, they're actually going to be in a position to deliver 2,000 new social homes. And I know that they're also involved in in the cost rental model, which we discussed here. I think we had uh, John O'Connor from the housing agency in a couple of months mm, ago yes, talking right, yeah. about the cost rental model in Ireland, which is going to be transformative for social housing mm-hmm. because it's linked to the cost of delivering and managing the units as opposed to um, market increases and fluctuations. That's where we need to get to for social housing. Social housing needs to be on a cost rental model. It can't be subject to the market. And in fact, that's one thing that the market is very clearly teaching us at the moment. So I, I think um, the the workability of this, I, I understand. I understand the and ruling. And the enforceability of it. Um, I, but again, I understand the ruling. I just yeah. don't think it is the right solution to deal with the problem. I think it's the right problem to be targeted, but it's the wrong solution for it. Just a bit of political correctness as well? Well, I, uh, online, that was certainly one of the one of the, one yeah. of the things. And look, my, my own opinion is I understand why mm-hmm. this case is important, but I think there's been an overcorrection. However, having said that, this is this is the ruling. Yeah, these are the new rules, and it's important to point out for landlords and for letting agents that compensation payments can be several thousand euros, but can go up to fifteen thousand mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, breaches. Mm-hmm. So this is genuinely important. And by the way, um, just a little bit of I suppose additional information there: uh, one hundred and four HAP-related complaints were referred to the WRC last year. So that's one hundred and four people who felt that they weren't given fair treatment in their in their search for rental accommodation because they were in receipt of HAP. So I think that's an important Significant, one. Significant, yeah. But look, we need to take a quick commercial break now. Join us after the break and we'll be speaking to Paddy Conlon of CBRE to talk about the launch of the International PropTech Challenge. Everything's fine on 93.9 Dublin South FM. And you're welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carl Tom and myself, Brian Fox. So as, as Carl mentioned there before the break in the studio with us now is uh, Paddy Conlon Director of Director, I think, is of CBRE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, well, you're very welcome. Thank you, Brian. So perhaps you would tell us you were involved with the PropTech Challenge Competition with CBRE sponsor. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, uh, the PropTech Challenge itself is actually something that's uh, it's a CBRE initiative that was uh, the genesis of which actually came out of um, our Spanish office. Um, and our Spanish office actually have probably put uh, the rest of the European network to shame slightly in terms of their attitude and their their uh, ability to sort of engage in the prop tech sector as well. So, so um, essentially, what they did uh, this is the third edition of the prop tech challenge. Um, they start the event on a small scale a couple of years ago, um, and they've gradually ramped up each year. So it's a Spanish Spanish uh, idea sponsored event. Yeah. Oh, Spanish. Okay. Yeah. And it's global. It's uh, well. It's a European uh, prop tech challenge European, okay, is essentially yeah. what it's billed as. Um, 
But ultimately, there's no restriction on where the, the entrants for the competition come from. So oh, while, I see. Okay, while yeah. there's probably eight leading countries behind it, yeah. um, essentially, it's, it's, there's no restriction on where those entrants come from. So. Very good. Now, you are leaders, more or less, in um, corporate um, estate, your corporate estate agents, basically. Correct, yeah. How is the market at the moment? Um, it, it, extremely buoyant. Um, Is it? Yeah, certainly. Um, obviously, you know, without you know, there's there's certainly plenty of noise going on at a macro level globally. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, as far as Ireland's concerned, um, strong both on the sort of capital market sector of the market, which is just. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of capital chasing product within the Irish market, and that's probably buoyed by the fact that there's very strong occupational markets, certainly on the officer side. So in Dublin, I would take it, are nationwide. I, um, that is, uh, I, I suppose, fair to say, predominantly Dublin, but certainly there's been um, good activity throughout uh, throughout the country as well. So we're seeing good positivity, good growth. Um, and just uh, you know, there's there's a well beaten, oh, there's a tried and tested path now within the, the Irish market. And is there any particular sector? I know you mentioned capital, capital goods there, but I mean, any yeah. any any particular sector that that is doing uh, anyway more uh, active at the moment and looking yeah, for? I, I, I suppose my, my my main focus is in the 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 offices market. So looking at uh, the office leasing and uh, the occupational market. So um, that has been an area that's been particularly strongly performing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is, um, depending on sort of, uh, there's, there's a lot of activity at the moment in the industrial sector as well. So just oh, in I've terms got an of that, yeah. manufacturing, logistics. Really? Yeah, just, just in terms. With data centres particularly. Correct. Yeah, exa- exactly. And, and I think some of, some of it's linked to um, what contingency planning is in place for sort of Brexit and what sort of yeah. uh, warehousing is required, logistics, and what, you know, Ireland's going to need its own infrastructure in that now, space. There's been, which is, there's been a lot of yeah. publicity given to data centres lately. Are, are you picking up much, uh, many inquiries in relation to data centres in the moment? Uh, so? it's, it's, yeah, it's not an area that's, but, it, but we have a, a strong team led by a colleague of mine, Gareth McLean, and yeah. uh, who, who's very active in the sector. So, so he's um, yeah. Yeah, and um, on the on the office side of it, uh, do you have an opinion about the WeWork IPO? It, it must be one uh, of the most controversial IPOs we've seen in the last decade. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly there's a there's a lot of noise about it. That's for certain. Um, you know, they've come in and done something to our sector, which has been incredibly interesting in terms of probably taking advantage of. Um, uh, you know, uh, a sort of uh, probably what prop tech is about, to be honest, which is um, the the sort of ability of our industry to be more uh, nimble when we're dealing with putting the occupiers together with the owners of real estate and just allowing you to to deal with things. So, so we work just came in with a completely different model. So, yeah. so th- I mean, the finances aside. What they're doing is incredibly interesting. Um, so. It is, and but I think we actually had uh, we had a show, a special show here on co-work, uh, co-working, and we had Joe McGinley from Bespoke Office, yeah. and I, I think that they're an Irish company who are really leading the field mm. in this. Um, but one of the things we talked about during that show were kind of some of the structural challenges mm. to to I suppose the future of work and mm. and offering space as a service um, this new very trendy mm. or untrend term um, but some of the structural challenges that came up were things like the financing so for example um, for landlords how you know when they're letting for um, short term lets you know there, there's a challenge there in terms of financing their financing still won't allow it so are we at a point where 
offices will need to go to the very large WeWork as opposed to smaller startup SMEs. You know, mm. are, are Irish indigenous startups and SMEs being pushed out of the private rental and into co-working space, whether they like it or not? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, the, the, you know, the reality of um, co-working, I suppose, as a model, it's sort of by long sell short mm. in terms of, you know, they're getting a premium for offering that flexibility. Um, and that's a premium that, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say is probably the, the occupiers are maybe slightly more ambivalent about whether they use WeWork or whether they use landlords directly. But the WeWork model is is geared up for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, it's been proven and that the WeWork model is that they're willing to pay this premium. So landlords can capture that premium. And indeed, I think you're looking at some occup- uh, some landlords who have scale who are willing to sort of look at and say, do you know what, some of my portfolio, I want to have long-term leases and, and lock them down. But there's other assets that I can actually be very comfortable just doing short-term and rolling leases. And that's yeah. probably a model that will evolve as well. Because Yeah, I presume it depends on the marketplace as well. Because I think, you know, back in 2011, 2012, you know, there was still uh, an oversupply of offices mm. in the Dublin market. And, you know, there was a lot less certainty mm. in the market. So... It was a good business model to be introducing it there, whereas now it, it's actually putting pressure on yeah. maybe the traditional office side. Yeah. But uh, Paddy, I'm so sorry, we're taking no. you off course in terms of the PropTech challenge no. because I think this is really exciting and it's a space, you know, we dedicate, you know, one third of the show every week to talk about PropTech. It's an area that we're very excited by and passionate about. Um, so can you tell me how the challenge is actually going to work and really what you'd like to see from innovators, particularly coming out of Ireland? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, thanks, Carol. I, I suppose for us, as I say, it's a third edition, but for, for us, it's really our first edition. Mm. So it's our it's our opportunity to really get on board and see what um, Ireland has to offer and basically try and put us on the map. So so we're wearing sort of two hats, one of being supportive to this PropTech challenge. But but clearly there's a there's a motivation internally to see Ireland succeed in terms of its uh, how it plays out within the challenge itself. Um, PropTech Ireland is very motivated to help. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Uh, and, uh, no, but it is important. Sure you know, yeah. As a small country, yeah. um, we actually have some really strong, particularly on the digital construction side of things, You know, we have some really strong innovators who maybe aren't delivering in the Irish market, but they're in the UK or the US or Canada or in South America delivering. So I think it's really important that um, innovation coming out of Ireland is actually used in Ireland as well and supported and funded mm. in Ireland. And that's maybe not happening at the moment. So I think CBRE coming in at this stage is really important. Yeah. And, and listen, I think if you look at the ingredients that Ireland has, it's, you know, within the DNA is entrepreneurialism and within the DNA is property. And so if you put those two bits together, you've got essentially you're, you're trying to mix what PropTech is all about, which is people try and innovate, collaborate, innovate within an area that can make a meaningful difference. Because um, I often tell the story, and Carrie, you may have heard this before, but um, I sat in the Web Summit a couple of years ago and listened to, I think it was one of the Collison brothers, talk about um, what they would do if they sold Stripe in the morning. And, and essentially their, their answer was that they'd pick the biggest sector they could possibly look at and look to disrupt it. Mm-hmm. And it made me sort of squirm in my seat because mm-hmm. essentially... We're a very traditional industry that need to sort of try and collaborate and change from within. 
uh, I don't think we should be afraid of that. And that's mm. really what the essence of what... And how's that change going for you in terms of adjustment to it? Like any change, it's a challenge, but it's, um, but it's you know, it's interesting to be a part of. Mm. You know, I think culturally you've got to change the way you are because mm. you, you do get sort of set in your ways, especially... And do you see it as disruptive to the, to the business? I mean, it's disruptive. Is it a positive or negative? You know, if you, if you put uh, disruption in a positive light, that's what I'm hoping it sort of comes out to be. Mm. Um, you do have great innovators doing great things in the property space in Ireland. I mean, you yeah. mentioned Joe and in terms of what <clears throat> he's done. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, harnessing that and, and creating an ecosystem on that, you know, the work that Carol's yeah. doing, it's that, you know, that's important from our, our side and CBRE supporting that yeah. and trying to, to bring our network to, yeah. to that. Yeah. And actually, you know, certainly four years ago, um, four and five years ago, when we started our first doing this uh, and actually working with innovators, um, what we saw very clearly there was that most of the innovation was consumer led. So it was people who had experienced difficulties and were out to solve the problems. And they were coming they were coming up and knocking on, on closed doors and it was difficult. And that was kind of one of the things we did was to be a bridge between. But actually what we've seen, which very much follows US trends and kind of really more recent UK trends, is that the industry has really picked up on the innovation okay. now. I mean, it's something no. we saw with Sherry Fitzgerald that's, that, uh, introducing the online That's what bidding. I want to put it to Paddy, actually, yeah. because so it, I think it, it, it was really accident that was, was, was it, that was started in Spain three years ago or four years ago. Yeah, I... I Listen, they've uh, they've got a very uh, sort of forward-thinking team over there, mm. certainly within the CBRE side. So, but are they more developed prop tech-wise there um, as well? I'm not necessarily sure if that's. I mean, listen, they wouldn't have what we have on our doorstep in terms yeah. of some of the biggest tech companies on our doorstep. With, as I say, this inbuilt DNA that's mm-hmm. focused on this area. So, again, you know, we probably uh, weren't focused enough on it. I um, wonder is that because, uh, and I know I spent a couple of years. Um, studying the Spanish market a couple of years ago, uh, particularly in terms of Sarab, mm. um, the NAM equivalent over there. And I think that a huge part of it is, is that innovation comes um, really when the when the marketplace isn't in a good place. So I actually think that in a way, Ireland recovered almost too mm. quickly and too mm. smoothly, although it certainly didn't feel like it to us at the time. That's interesting, Whereas yeah. in Spain, it didn't happen like that. It was much patchier. It was, um, it really wasn't, it, it was in a more convoluted terms of recovery. And I think that actually that's the kind of marketplace that drives innovation so mm. in a way I think the industry almost had um, when we start to recover the path to recovery was almost too smooth that innovation wasn't needed it wasn't necessary it wasn't demanded mm. um, and what we were seeing was that the innovation coming in was client led so for example particularly in the data centre side when we looked at that it was you know US US or multinational clients coming in and demanding a higher standard or demanding um, you know for okay. example on the technology mm. side um, mm. BIM and, and mm. other technologies so I think in Spain the market not recovering to the same extent or at the same pace as Ireland I think drove a lot of innovation mm. over there and that within was certainly the, something the industry we saw. Itself, yeah, yeah. 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 But no, I, I think Ireland's catching up now. I, I think it's catching up. I mean, I mean listen, it's pro- probably victim of our own success mm. in terms of when you've got the big tech giants growing, yeah, well, growing yeah, you know, th- there's yeah. loads yeah. of opportunity mm. outside that area. Mm. So where the opportunity is less, mm. people have to innovate more and try and maybe come up with some of these solutions. So that's probably what's mm. driven a lot of it. Um, I would say just, uh, Brian, come, come back to your point, just in terms of you know what type of technologies we're seeing. So, so um, 
just the second edition last year's one was an interesting sort of dynamic because there was there was about 180 entrants and actually the majority of those entrants sat in a space which was either driven by marketplace solutions so how can you um, clean up or, or make the marketplace more more active so you mentioned what Cherry Fitzgerald are doing or what Offer are doing what BidX1 are doing in terms of that ability to transact property which certainly doesn't you know it needs to be constantly considered um, but also in terms of the property management or the facility mm -hmm. management of property so the lion's share of projects are very definitely focused on that space um, there are other areas that look at sort of IoT big data, AI, um, and just that uh, augmented reality type mm -hmm. yeah. uh, vision as well. VR, so yeah, so, it, yeah. so it's it's really, there's a real cross section. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, you know, what we're looking for is really to harness as much of that Irish ecosystem that's out there, is doing work in this space, even, and, and the beauty of the PropTech Awards itself is certainly there's, there's, there's an award category that looks at, you know, somebody who has proof of concept and they're sort of moving forward, but there's somebody as, as, as early as if you've just got an idea and it's there's an ideas category that it doesn't even really need um, the, the meat on the bones. It can be the bones of an idea, which is and interesting. That's, that's actually an amazing opportunity. I was I was at your office the night of the launch event, uh, event and afterwards, you know, there was a discussion about it. And that was one of the points that innovators and startups came back to because normally to apply for these awards or to showcase an idea you have to have hit a few particular you know milestones or, or things to show whereas to come in at idea stage and I think you made the point um, Paddy that that actually the outcome there isn't isn't not it's not well defined but actually you flexibility there in terms of there might be solutions that could be developed alongside CBRE. Mm. Now that's an amazing opportunity for some innovators that I haven't seen a mm. similar type um, early stage idea um, collaboration in any of the other international PropTech awards and I think that that might actually suit people who are doing some of these very large projects that actually require a, a heavy amount of capital investment mm. in order to even get to proof of funding stage mm -hmm. and the fact that CBRE um, works with some of the largest occupiers in Ireland, mm. there's a great opportunity even to allow access in for testing environments. Mm, yeah. And I mean, how how much are you tapping into your client base and maybe seeing, you know, what problems do you have? You know, yeah. what what solutions should we be looking at? Yeah, actually, so so interesting you mentioned that. So the, the first PropTech session we're going to have next week, we're going to have a meetup next Tuesday evening, which is uh, so the Tuesday the 3rd. Um, details of it are on the, the PropTech website, so proptech.cbre.eu. And essentially what we're looking to do is um, identify with some assistance from clients of where the gap is in property, so where, they, where they're feeling point, uh, points yeah. of pain. So, uh -huh. I mean, what that's doing is probably, and there's a reason that's at the very start of these meetups, which is probably given the time for somebody who might just be at the embryonic stage of an idea to kind of take it away and just think whether it's got a relevance in in the property world as well so so that that's that's themed um we do have a couple of other themes around the areas of prop tech finance uh, big data so we've got um some contributors who are coming into some of the meetups so it'll just give some guidance hopefully to some of those people that need uh, yeah and actually that's really important because one uk study last year actually showed a massive disconnect between maybe innovators and people who would be the end buyers of those solutions. Mm. And so what we saw was that um, 
I I applaud innovation in all of its forms. But not all innovation, actually, the way it was summed up was not all problems are a priority to solve. Mm. And I think that there has been a bit of a disconnect here. And that's why it's so important that we tap into the industry and, and to the end consumers or users of these spaces to see what problems actually we need to be prioritising because prop tech is still evolving. It's still at mm-hmm. reasonably early stages. So like the US is ahead of, mm. you know, Ireland isn't that far behind the UK, but certainly, you know, it, it, we're a couple of years behind mm. the US. But even there, it's not a mature sector. Um, we still we still need to prioritise. You know, the funding is still low in mm. relative terms. Yep. Um, so we, we need to prioritise the problems that we're going to solve. Yep. And I think that's particularly true in Ireland because can, it's just Can you see any improvement in the funding of these projects? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we were chatting just before we came on, on air just in terms of those sort of funding levels, which, mm. you, you know, you're certainly seeing just incrementally are growing. Mm. So probably a lot like where possibly fintech was five, seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. We're probably at a similar stage in terms of prop tech. So funding gone from probably somewhere around 14 billion to 10 billion at the mid-year mark. Uh, mm. We were discussing earlier, Carol, but you know that that sort of funding levels is something that Ireland really needs to tap yeah, into that's in terms the, that's of, and, and, yeah. and that's the, that's the aim of this this yeah. program. So. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. actually, just I suppose before we finish up, um, in in terms of the funding, one of the things that we have seen is that um, while Enterprise Ireland. Uh, while Enterprise Ireland maybe is the primary funder of early stage businesses most of the angel or venture funds has come from the industry itself Mm. so as in uh, property developers construction Mm. company owners in their personal capacity are investing in these prop tech startups so I think that's a really interesting vote of confidence as well Mm. Um, Paddy you might just remind people where to go which website to go for access yeah. So yeah. Thanks, Carol. So so the best website is uh, if you go on proptech.cbre.eu, um, and on there you'll find details of the challenge itself, uh, which is the Irish leg is going to be done in November with the uh, the finals in Spain in early 2020. Okay, exciting stuff. Paddy, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us about that and maybe we'll come back in and see as the competition progresses and we'll, we'll touch base on that again. So that was Paddy Conlon of CBRE. Thank you again for joining us. Um, coming up after the break, we have Stephen O'Sullivan of PPN Dublin. Paddy. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. And you're very welcome back to Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. It's with, my, with myself, Brian Fox, and Carol Tallon. You can t- contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email um, hello at iPropertyRadio.com. So, as mentioned, as Carol mentioned it before the break, we have now Stephen O'Sullivan in. And uh, Stephen, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us, guys. You are from PPN Dublin. So, maybe you'd explain uh, how you became involved with that. Uh, basically, it's Progressive Property Network Dublin, it's kind of a property meetup group. Um, after the recession there, I kind of wanted to see about getting some education and I couldn't really see it in local mm-hmm. or in were you Were you investing in property during the recession? Yes. and uh, So you got hit, you got walloped things, like the rest yeah, of us. One or two things went a bit south and uh, one of my relatives took it, got a bad deal as well, you know, so I kind of wanted to reach out and see what was out there, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I wasn't finding much online. So I reached out to the UK and uh, PPN, Progressive Property Network, uh, up and down the whole UK, mm-hmm. uh, educating people on property and doing courses and whatever. So I was over and back doing a few courses. And then a friend of mine, uh, well, I got to know him. I was running a place in Belfast, a Belfast property meet. And uh, I used to go up there uh, on a first Thursday every month up and down. Yeah. And he said, why don't you set something up in Dublin? Because 
there must be other people. So a lot of people coming up to me because I'm a little bit involved in property myself. So I did. I think there might be an appetite. So we started up a couple of years ago, and it's just been growing and growing. You know. Yeah, and you see, I suppose I. I'm familiar with uh, property, well, PPN as well, actually, because that started at the time of my first property business back in, I, I think that started about 2005, 2006, so we were in the marketplace. Well, they actually probably started around 2003 or four, but uh, we were in the marketplace at the same time. But actually, I can remember before the crash, there were several property networks uh, that used to meet, usually in the basements of Dublin Four hotels, and they were always so well attended. But I think what was unusual is uh, the level of sharing. We just weren't familiar with that because actually Irish landlords and investors tend to be very be careful. Very <laughs> careful. They just don't You'll talk about things. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that that really surprised me. And I think with PPN in Dublin, you meet every month, is it? The first choose of every month there in the Sandy Month Hotel. And we just encourage people who want to share their experience with other people. The sharing and is important though, isn't it? sharing is good, bad and the ugly and mm. there's a lot of learning from the deals. And would you get many members? Um, well, we'd have... Uh, I think over a thousand on our mailing list and we meet up every month and we make it 40, 40 or 50 people every month and we talk about different property strategies that'll be out there. Some of you were talking about earlier on there from buy to let to the professional let and I'm interested about um, what you just spoke about. Yeah, about on. the new rules and actually that's one thing because actually normally on the show we have um, letting agents or managing, managing or estate agents in and by the way that's not because we haven't asked landlords landlords won't come in and talk to us um, that's just the reality and by the way I, I can say Shy. from from Shy. they just don't talk Probably. about it and siloed I, I actually on a weekly basis at least I get journalist requests in can you send us a landlord to talk to and, and I always say a landlord <coughs> will speak to a journalist they just won't allow their name be used and they won't be photographed and then of course the, the papers won't read it or won't write it but then I always feel that we're missing we're missing a perspective on the market and I felt that during the early days of the crash as well because I knew from being involved in some of the property networks that there was absolutely an appetite there despite the fact that economists were saying you know, the property market is in a shambles and don't do anything. There was no mortgages available and people were saying there was no money. But I could see in these rooms there absolutely was money. There was cash there and people wanted to put their cash into property. And that was that was a perspective that wasn't anywhere in the media. And at the time I was a columnist in the Sunday Business Post and I would try to convey as much as yeah. I could there without breaking any confidentiality you know um, the, confiden- the confidentiality yeah. of, of the meeting um, but I, I feel like we're almost back in this again we never seem to hear from the private investor the private landlord so you know earlier today mm, sorry, yeah, no, sorry, earlier today in the show myself and Brian were talking about the new rules uh, for property advertising and it feels unfair to keep saying DAT because actually these rules apply no matter right what website board, you're on yeah, yeah. Uh, it just so happened that mm. DAT was, was in that you know uh, Stephen have you have you gotten any feedback from your members on this yet? Well, our meeting is next week I was on holidays before that came in but some of the strategies would be looking at you saying don't advertise for HAP but some of our group would just in their particular area 
Hap works for them fine every day of the week and there's no problem with Hap. Mm. Actually, people- I think that's worth that's actually worth expanding on a little bit because I don't know that um, people are aware of this, that there are actually landlords who only well, want actually, to deal I with... I actually had a friend. I have a personal experience and he was very, very happy. Now, uh, to a large degree, they were immigrants. But I mean, and I suppose immigrants has got that tabooed association now. But as far as he was concerned, they were excellent tenants and, and paid up and, and had no problems mm. and kept the place... Well, a lot of strategies are different. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't might be um, someone's holding it for the long term, yeah, and they're cash flowing a little bit every month, or substantially if if the, if the loan to value was very good on it. But um, if they're in there for the long term, they're looking for slow capital growth, maybe in that area. Yeah, where they're coming to city centre, they might be looking for a different strategy. A, a different so type. Some yeah. people might be looking for professional lets mm-hmm. because that strategy doesn't work in that area. So it's horses for courses, and you might have students in another area. Yeah. Mm. or nurses near hot, uh, hospitals or whatever so there's no, no magic bullet here it's whatever strategy works in different areas so, yeah no absolutely and, that's what we for. and I think that used to be particularly true with the properties we referred to as pre-63s you know yeah. they, they were a certain type of property that required an absolutely certain type of management style um, but they also attracted a certain type of tenant and that was just the reality that was the business model that was what worked and it continued to work and they were exceedingly profitable when other Dublin uh, properties were yielding 5 and 6% um, even during the crash they're way down on that now and um, these properties were 10 and 11 and 12% yeah. so again it's how much work you're willing to put in I think people forget that being a landlord actually requires work It does a lot of work and a lot of people are doing the Airbnb model which has got a bad rap, rap lately but for some landlords during recession even if a tenant was gone I wrecked the house they said what can I do here because I'm putting so much money every month to this so some of them moved out uh, Have you but many members that are doing short term lets? We would have yeah but I'm trying to have to change that strategy I, now I know? was about to say have any of them applied for planning? Yeah well, or one have, two. They, have they been successful? No I, They've changed their strategy because we said this was coming Right. Six months, whatever, and someone might have turned their strategy into something else. But it's been very badly enforced, up there, hasn't it? The the um, enforcing of the planning law well, and planning permissions. That's all going to start happening. Well, the local councils are going to start looking at that more detail. Mm. Yeah, but it, um, it came into effect on the first of July, yeah. and I think yeah. around the first week of August, we covered it um, under the news here and. In fact, the, the level of registrations mm. had been very low. There was mm. kind of two and three and some ca- some counties, some local authorities had had zero mm. number of registrations. So some people might and be just, yeah. not, not doing that going forward. They might look back at the student model or a different strategy. So yeah. with the advertising you were just talking about beforehand, how is that going to affect some of that as well? Well, well, how, well how, how do you think it will affect you from that point of view? I mean... Well, this is only new to me, so... Well, no, it's, we'll, it's we'll only discuss, literally new we'll this week, We'll discuss it next yeah. Tuesday night as well and get some feedback. Mm. You know, but that, that'll that be important to hear because, again, you know, uh, oftentimes we just don't get the feedback from the individual landlords. And I think, by the way, it's really important to specify that or, or, or to really state that um, most landlords in the market today are um, credible and, oh, no. and reputable yes, landlords yeah, sure. and they want to comply with the increasingly onerous legislation. This is why we kind of set this up. Anyway, like yeah. There's one or two other groups around Dublin that I've found since and whatever, and IPO and all those, but those starting off, where do they go? So yeah. we're trying to get a group of like-minded people and we've, first time, newbies come in and those have one or two or three properties and a lot of landlords only have one or two properties mm-hmm. and don't know how to scale up. And that would that would tally with the Residential Tenancy Board figures as well. Um, they they say that most out. landlords would have less than two properties. Because of the Airbnb model, I said, look, at, I can't, 
if there's no return on it, this for me because I had to go to Airbnb. Those are stuck in the recession. So it's different courses for different people. Um, now, this is interesting and, and slightly off topic, but we we are actually have a, we have a bit of a focus on the vacant homes movement that's going on at the moment. Um, there's a huge push to try bring vacant properties back to use. However, I've spoken to I've spoken to people who have inherited property or somehow acquired property and they're deliberately leaving it vacant because they don't want to be landlords. So as in they want to own property, they want their money in bricks and mortar, they want that to appreciate, they hope, over time, but they don't want to be landlords. So and they might have the money to bring the house back up to good standard. But there's so many schemes available actually, the lease and repair scheme, um, there's about five, six or seven schemes through the local authorities for funding to bring, va- actually there's eight. Um, that's the problem with Dublin City Council. Um, to Dublin County Council. But a lot of there's a very little small take-up. A lot of people that own the housing stock probably don't want to get into that space. Mm. No, no that, and that's exactly it. They don't want to be landlords. So how do we... How you, So I, I actually think that you've identified a real problem here that actually we want to bring vacant homes back into use mm-hmm. and they're owned by individuals who are not professional landlords or landlords of any type um, and they're quite intimidated by it so maybe we do need but a you, very structured way. Another thing to look at is like the, the fabric of the building a lot of these old buildings unfortunately aren't up to, up to a good standard and they need a total fabric upgrade which I know there's some grants out there. For, but there's grants but up to 40,000 that would do a lot for some of these older vacant properties you know you're not yeah. going to put in septic tanks so you're not going to you Dublin, know, you're not uh, going Dublin, to Dublin uh, Council set up the Living Living City Initiative. Yeah. But that was only in a certain zone as well. Yeah. And it hasn't worked hundred percent the way they want it came from it, Europe. there hasn't been great take up on that. No. But I would also say from a communications point of view, there hasn't been great promotion of it. And in fact we saw that with the lease and repair scheme, uh, the first year it was introduced. Uh, some counties had zero applications. So, in fact, after about 15 months, they had to review it, change the communications around it, change some of the rules, mm. increase the grant that could be given, um, lower the time that you had to give your property over to the local authority um, to, to be rented as social housing. So there were changes and tweaks made. So yeah. I do think there's schemes out there that are not well communicated by the local authorities, but that could benefit. I think there's a great opportunity because how many people are driving up mm. to Dublin every day from their own towns mm. really just unseen yeah. just getting dilapidated and dilapidated and it, nobody wants to see that so it should be a big push to re- regenerate well, actually, towns and that, maybe that's, that's bit, happening at the moment you can register and a bit of industry down yeah. not all of the M50 or M1 come to Dublin you know yeah well look I think that's a great point there's a couple of initiatives there that we've covered on the show so far Work Remote is one where people um, there's actually an initiative going in regional hubs all around Ireland you know we've some in Dingle it's in up in I think um, there's several in Sligo and, and um, Mayo there's one in, in Waterford, or sorry one in Wexford you know all of these work remote hubs where like minded people are coming together not it is co-working, but it's yeah. not a co-working yeah. offering. It's it's a work remote offering. Um, so I do think that's a that's an important point. But in terms of people who are driving and passing vacant homes, I would definitely urge people that Mayo County Council has the vacanthomes.ie website where you can go on and register a vacant home. So it's really important to do that. But it doesn't address the owners of these properties that don't want to let them out. And access to funding. I, I see. I, I do think that there's funding available there that hasn't been taken up. What's we know the mo- that there's, there's no motivation there for that person then because yeah. Now there's the problem. I've got the skill set, or they're just looking for the higher price. Mm. For the I, I I think. And a lot of our, our, our yeah, 
before that grant came in was to refurbish costs and associated works to bring up to a standard and return on your investment. Exactly. You had to walk away sometimes. You see, we know there's funding there. I actually think it's back to the first the That's first the challenge you mentioned, criteria. which is people, well, people don't want to be in a position of being landlords. So why is that? Is that because, again, they don't really understand what their responsibilities are? Um, there's a lot of scaremongering there's a lot of scaremongering well, in the well, headlines. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you'd respond to that. Is there a lot of scaremongering at the moment? Or what's your reaction to the legislation that's that went through the uh, houses there before it, it broke up before for the summer? I mean, uh, will will landlords be happy enough now to be renting their properties with the conditions that they're in now in the uh, rental t- <coughs> tenancy board? From what angle are you talking about? Well, time? from the point of view of eviction, from the point of view of, of um, renovations, from the point of view of all that sort of stuff, you know? Like uh, any landlord just wants to get a good tenant, pay their way, and now that's that's the bottom line. You just said any landlord wants to get a good tenant. Does that not bring this show full circle? Because we started by talking about the restrictions when advertising for a tenant. Yeah. So uh, now I understand you said a good tenant is a tenant that fits the property, mm. and there are different strategies. Um, but you can always get a bad one in every strategy that you're using. Of course. Yeah. So, um, I, I look. Tell me the challenges because I know that part of your meeting is that people actually share challenges that they're having around tenants. You know, there's there is from a landlord's point of view, have the the notice periods been extended too too long? You know, are are tenants allowed stay and and are they allowed overhold in a property too long? It's just when things go wrong, it's so complicated to get them out into cost. Mm-hmm. Look, everybody knows that, but um, as I said, we try to encourage everyone to come and speak to the experience and, and then anyone who's starting out will get a bit of education it is education yeah. and uh, be a bit more equipped then going forward because we'll have newbies starting off and have nowhere to go and very welcome to come and listen to, we have a guy from Galway now next Tuesday night showing a couple of a deal that he did and happy to, to share the the pros and cons the weaknesses of the of what he took them to get it over the line, if you know what I mean. Mm. Okay, so this is a landlord who's going to address the well, well, strategy. He's going to maybe for a student led. Okay. He also does a service accommodation when he has to change that. So he's sharing his challenges. Mm. So it's in that strategy. So every month we change it around. And how... And then we also bring in a professional, like passive house standards coming in, NZEB. Yeah, so that's an like, important one coming in at the one. end of the year. So a lot of people aren't aware of that. We've been saying that people want a good housing stock so what is your BR rating maybe before the BR rating wasn't number one mm. it was always location 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 but if the housing stock is not the good standard six months in there's probably a problem with the house so that's when people are trying to buy some of these older properties to bring them up to a good standard that's where it could fall down sometimes Briefly Paddy do you think are people nervous of becoming landlords nowadays Sorry. Are, are people nervous of becoming landlords nowadays I think from what I'm hearing some people want to get out of the, the industry like as I said, a lot of people in the recession uh, didn't, up, didn't up their rents and yeah. then a lot of the big pr- private companies came in and they set the bar at a new levels mm-hmm. and with the rent pressures on, they couldn't up them. So for that reason alone, they just can't get out to, to squash and they can't yeah. get out. Some people feel they're being pushed out. But Isn't, Stephen, remind us again where people can go to get information on yeah. the meetup and where to attend. Um, first Tuesday every month in the Sandy Mount Hotel. Can um, anybody go? Yeah, anyone can go. We got it. We got to get out of here. I'm afraid, Stephen. Thanks that was Stephen. Stephen O'Sullivan, PPN Dublin. Uh, thanks for coming in to us today. So that's it from us in the studio today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing I, hello at iproperty.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio.
Okay, again, I want to thank both of our guests for joining us in studio today. Also, thanks to Shane Flynn, who's on sound, and our producer, Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week from Brian Fox and myself, Carol Tallon. Have a great week. 